We are, unfortunately, the largest single population of chronic disease that Medicare might cover that has no coverage whatsoever. Regrettably, we have historically been a therapeutic cheap date, and now we aren't. And so I really think it's rationing of care. At least 1.2 million Medicare beneficiaries could take this drug based on what their doctor's final judgment is. Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. Our guest today is John Dwyer Jr., lawyer, serial healthcare entrepreneur, a co-founder of Us Against Alzheimer's, and president of the Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation. John, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here, Meryl. John, when we first met in your office, and that's more than a decade ago, I commented on a large family photo behind you, and you said, and I'll never forget this line, we count our Christmases. What did you mean? Well, as you know, in my father's family, my grandmother died of Alzheimer's, my father died of Alzheimer's, and six of his siblings died of Alzheimer's. He came from a family of 12. So there's no question that something sinisterly remarkable was happening in that family. And so the large Irish Catholic pool of first cousins I have all think about our cognitive condition, especially starting in the 60s, since all of our parents started showing symptoms by the time they turned 70, 72, 73. And so we count our Christmases. And the idea being that, obviously, with progression of the disease, there were going to be Christmases where we started not to remember. Happily, in this generation that I represent, the incidence and prevalence of Alzheimer's in my family has been very close to the norm of anyone over 65. And so whatever was going on in dad's family has not been inherited by my generation. John, most patients in their families are blindsided by the diagnosis, also when they discover that Medicare does not cover out-of-pocket expenses for long-term chronic care, and many families are forced into bankruptcy. As a co-founder of the Alzheimer's Action Pack, what is the latest battle shaping up on Medicare reimbursement for Alzheimer's drugs? We are in a real challenged position in light of CMS's current policy decisions and posture on this. First, it said something very important, Merrill, and that is while Alzheimer's may be affecting more than 6 million Americans, clearly most of those are Medicare or Medicaid eligible. The fact is, relative to other diseases, only a small fraction of the all-in costs associated with Alzheimer's is borne by the federal taxpayer. Medicare doesn't pay for any therapy that's currently in the market because they're all generic and very inexpensive. Medicaid pays for some elements of assisted living or skilled nursing facilities. But when you compare to the intensively and acute expenses that other diseases, and I don't compare them, but it is in fact true that if you have significant cancer treatments, those are borne without hesitation, I might add, by Medicare and paid coverage to label. Now, that's a term of art to say Medicare will pay for the way it was approved by the FDA. In our case, with virtually no therapies approved for over 20 years, 
a pharmaceutical solution has not been with us for nearly two decades until two years ago. They are not going to cover the drug to label as the FDA approved it. They will not reimburse without further intricacies being wrapped around the administration of the drug. We would call those bureaucratic barriers to access. And it is very difficult if you see what you and I have seen to finally get science across the goal line with the FDA to only have it for the first time ever, Merrill, be subjected to additional administrative challenges that will prevent hundreds of thousands of patients from getting the drug in the near future. And that is a problem. What political action will it take in your mind to persuade CMS to treat Alzheimer's patients like they have patients with every other disease? Well, I think you have to acknowledge, as I have come to believe, that Medicare is a very formidable opponent. When they don't want to make a coverage decision, they can contrive really interesting regulatory arguments for not doing it, as they have in this unprecedented decision of theirs. To overcome that, we have to have families and voters who are victims of this disease, who have taken care of loved ones, really get active and really get after their members of Congress to say, this can't stand. Why us? Why is Alzheimer's being singled out for such punitive and isolating treatment, unlike any other patients of any other disease? We need their doctors to stand up and say, this is a decision that I can take with my patients, and I'll help make the best treatment decision I can for them based on the facts of their particular condition and likelihood of benefit. But to have Medicare unilaterally and, frankly, in an uninformed manner, try to do what doctors and physicians and patients do every day, which is decide what course of care is best for them, is both insulting and uninformed. And it will end up, Merrill, creating an imbalance of care, the likes of which this administration and this country has never seen. And let me explain why. This disease, regrettably, is a disease that tracks with the poor, and it has a higher level as well in the rural communities, as well as with communities that just historically have not gotten state-of-the-art medical care. In other words, much of the African-American community and much of the Latino, Hispanic community, which gets this disease at two times to 1.5 times the incidence level of white Americans are not going to be able to get the drug readily, are not going to have the sophisticated care available to administer the drug readily, all because Medicare has created this skewed process that historically has only been administered by tertiary academic institutions that do not routinely treat the poor in volume or diverse communities in volume. Have we reached a point, John, in this country where ageism is an issue? Yes, but I would be quick to say the effect is on people that are old and people that are in a large volume of old people with this disease, because we are, unfortunately, the largest single population of chronic disease that Medicare might cover that has no coverage whatsoever. Regrettably, we have historically been a therapeutic cheap date, and now we aren't. 
And so I really think it's rationing of care, Merrill. I think that that is the more appropriate model. They have at least 1.2 million Medicare beneficiaries that could take this drug based on what their doctor's final judgment is. Probably more likely quarter of a million to 400,000 are going to be well positioned to benefit from this drug, but they're going to put in place a program that makes it only 50,000, 60,000 people over the next few years can get the drug. And Merrill, you and I are more likely to get this drug at many times likelihood over those that are in rural or medically underserved communities. That's just dead wrong. John, what are the other current roadblocks on getting promising therapies to early stage patients? And what problems in the clinical trial process were you solving for with the launch of the Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation? The biggest single challenge we have in finding more therapies in less time is we don't have enough people coming into clinical trials and participating in clinical trials that will validate these new drugs. These new drugs are not a cure. They slow the progression of the disease. There is a cure out there. It is years away, but the fastest single way to get that solution to amp up our research effort and bring people of all walks of life into clinical trials and make them part of the citizen scientific effort. Now, in that regard, Doctors need to be aware of these trials, and they need to evaluate their patients as to whether they will benefit from them. And what I have seen in my work as the Global Alzheimer's Platform is that when people know from all walks of life, know that there is a clinical trial out there that, number one, will really tell them in great detail what is going on with their own cognitive condition at no cost to them. And two, without any guarantees, could put them on a trajectory to get the -the state-of-the-art science at no cost to them. Is this a U.S. issue? You're a global Alzheimer's platform. Are other countries better at this? No. But I think that the quality of physician awareness is better in some countries, but they don't have as many studies, frankly, as you do in the United States. And the reason for that is a couple of reasons, but it is important to understand that as bad as it is here, whatever Medicare is going to do to us, it's going to be even less likely to see early adoption and coverage of these drugs in Europe or in third world countries where they can't even supply the infrastructure to administer these drugs. So there's a lot at play here. So we have the issue of drug approval. What happens if Medicare holds their position in terms of the drug pipeline? For this class of drugs, there's only going to be two kinds of Alzheimer's patient that can get the drug. Either the truly wealthy who will pay out of pocket, because it's a $26,000 a year drug. That is not, in anyone's normal definition, inexpensive. And because it's a Part B drug, you could pay as much as $5,200 out of your own pocket to be able to get the drug based on Medicare co-pays. Or if you're not paying out of pocket, like the rich will, you will go to your doctor. Maybe you will have Medicare additional coverage insurance, but you will go to your doctor and you will play healthcare access roulette to find out if your number will come up and you can actually get to a doctor and then get coverage for where you live to get the drug. And I regret to say, I think that that is going to be roughly a one out of six chance that 
will be able to get the drug versus the number of people that could benefit from the drug. Isn't that sad? So, John, what needs to happen to ensure a smoother transition from the diagnosis to accessing the treatment? And is the infrastructure ready? So we all love our doctors. And Meryl, you and I have more friends that are neurologists, at least I seem to, than I have of any other flavor these days. But the system just did not, for whatever reason, many of them good, did not look over the horizon and say, this is coming and we know it's coming. What is the prudent, reasonable thing to do to get ready for this? So even if Medicare was covering to label, we have to be honest intellectually and say the average healthcare system in the United States is woefully unprepared. What needs to change? First, Medicare has to change its reimbursement policies on assessing the presence of cognitive impairment and the presence of beta amyloid. Those two things are the hallmark of early Alzheimer's. And they need to say they'll pay for digital cognitive tests or paper administered tests, which take much more time and are much more variable in their result. And for blood-based biomarkers that can approximate the presence of pathology like a PET image does, which is the gold standard diagnostic, but blood tests will cost a fraction of what a PET image will cost for the healthcare system, for society in general. Those two things have to be put in place, but it's within reach. This is not science fiction. This stuff all exists. There's a lot of data around these technologies. With a little push, they could be approved by the FDA as diagnostic tools. Many of them already have a device clearance, and they need to be implemented by health systems. That's number one. Number two is patients need to realize that you're going to wait. Five out of six of you are going to wait. And so when you talk to your doctor, now's the time to really sit back and ask, what can I do, doctor, to improve my chances of one, benefiting from the drug when I get it, and two, maintaining my cognitive abilities so I've got something to benefit from once I finally can get on drug. That means think about your lifestyle. Stop smoking. Watch how much you drink. Get more exercise. Get more sleep. Those are things that the health system has to do more robustly in terms of how they treat patients. It's consistent with good health for diabetes and cardiac disease as well. So this is not newfound insights in general. And the health system's not CMS in the case of just behavior change and best practices need to gear up to get that message out. What might the prescription for Alzheimer's prevention look like 10 years from now? Fast forward 10 years for us. So that's 2033. I think we're going to see a much more aggressive prevention set of technologies. And Meryl, I think we've got a shot at a vaccine by 33. And we can't go and put a million people through a multi-thousand dollar process to determine whether they are appropriate for a vaccine. But if we don't do the hard work now, which is a scientific process of validating biomarkers that can actually operate as surrogate endpoint, something that has been very unpopular so far with some of the naysayers at Medicare and even in the neurology community, then they've got to be very robust and honest with us. If we can find this, then we'll consider it a valid surrogate for presence of disease and allow a vaccine to come to market. 
There may be vaccines ready to come to the clinical trial process without a way to demonstrate their efficacy. That will be criminal if we can't bring the technologies together in a timely fashion. So by 33, if we don't repeat the mistakes we've made now, which is be too slow in anticipating where the puck is going to be scientifically, we could actually have a vaccine. And that vaccine would be a tiny fraction of the cost of the drugs we have today treating many more patients at a lower cost to Medicare, and more importantly, advancing the health and welfare of patients that are high risk for Alzheimer's for a long time. That's what I see as possible by 33, but only if we start today to own up to a lot of work needs to be done by the regulators and by science to get ready for those vaccines. And that speaks globally as well. Our guest has been John Dwyer, chairman of the Global Alzheimer's Platform and a co-founder of Us Against Alzheimer's and a longtime friend. That's it for this edition. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for brainstorming with us. Our team is on a mission to help you stay up with the latest scientific breakthroughs from new therapies to technologies on early diagnosis and personal brain health advice from well-known experts using an equity lens that promotes brain health for all. Now, we'd like to hear what's on your mind. What are the topics and guests you'd like to hear featured on Brainstorm? Send your comments to brainstorm at usagainstalzheimers.org. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Genentech and ASI. For four decades, ASI's commitment to Alzheimer's disease has never wavered, even when faced with complexities and challenges that cause others to relinquish pursuit. ASI has never given up on developing therapeutic and ecosystem solutions for people and families living with Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases. Subscribe to Brainstorm on your favorite podcast platform. And join us on the first and third Tuesday of every month.